Well, good evening, everybody. How are you? Good. Like, those kind of questions, I do appreciate a bit of feedback. I'm just saying. I like, I like when I get spoken back to during times of, of preaching. Not obnoxiously speaking back to, uh, but I like the, the affirmation part of it. I think it's important. I think it's good. Hey, uh, when you were little, did you believe things that now that you're an adult, you're like, that's kind of weird? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. Like, like you know, when, when somebody said like, oh, don't swallow your gum because it'll stick in your belly for like seven years. It'll take seven years to digest. <laughs> Did you really think it? that's awesome? No, it's not true. The acidity in your stomach will take it, take it apart. Right, right, Jordan? Yeah, exactly. Jordan is like better than Google, in my opinion, to information. Like, like what about also too, if you don't eat your carrots, like you're not going to see properly. Did your parents ever say that? You're, you're going to go blind if you don't eat your carrots. I was convinced of that as a kid. Like, don't eat watermelon seeds or they're going to grow. There's watermelon going to grow in your stomach. Anybody on that one? Yeah? Okay. Good. What about don't sneeze with your eyes open or what? They'll pop out. Sarah. Yeah, you too? Yeah. Did you believe that it can't happen? Have you seen it happen? I have sneezed with my eyes open and I still got both of them. So, but somebody mentioned like, like the big three, like the big three that you believe as a kid, right? Yeah, Santa. Like, like I know this is tough. You know, Nathan, buddy, I know as a child, you believe it, but I'm sorry to tell you, buddy, Santa's not real. What? Yeah, I know. Can you believe it? Bit of an existential crisis here going on for Nathan. Not only, yeah, like not only Christmas, but like Easter too, Mish, buddy. Like, like I know it's about Christ, but the Easter bunny? The Easter bunny did not hide those chocolates. Yeah. I know, it was, it was, your, it was your parents. It was your parents. And talking about like loving parents, the other big one, right in my pal, I know your parents. They, they, they loved you, man. I got to tell you, though, I got to tell you, they were the ones who put the coin under your pillow. Yeah, yeah. No tooth fairy, pal. No tooth fairy. Kirsten, I'm sorry I ruined it for you as well, but. (laughs) We grow and, and we mature in these things that we thought they just were no longer convinced about anymore, right? But you know what? There's even things as an adult that, that we're, they're convinced by, right? Like, I am convinced, okay? Convinced that people who drink bubble tea are crazy. Like, I am convinced of it. Like, you've had one too many concussions in your life. <laughs> convinced of it, okay? Convinced of it. I'm convinced, we had this conversation at dinner tonight, Uh, those who think quinoa is better than rice, wrong is right. Quinoa is terrible. Okay, 
those who drink ginger beer, they just want to fit in. They don't actually like it. They don't actually like it. Nobody actually likes ginger beer. <laughs> now, root beer, on the other means, root beer. And like, I'm convinced, okay, I'm convinced that Hires root beer is probably top of all root beers. Like Hires root beer, it's tough to get in Canada, I get it, but Hires root beer is the best. You never see it advertised, and Barks is good too. They never advertise, and yet they're still top dogs all the time. I love it. And I'm convinced root beer is not real beer. You're right. Neither is ginger beer. But, it, it, but I, will, I, I will say this. I am convinced. I'm a pop guy. I love pop. I know it's not healthy for you, but I love pop. But fountain pop is way better than bottled or cap. I'm convinced of it. It's like that meme, right? Like, you know that guy that sits there with a cup and is like, changed my mind, right? Like, I'm convinced that fountain pop is the best. Who? Steve. Okay, seems like a nice guy. Okay, uh, you know who else was convinced? There was a guy by the name of Paul. He was convinced. He was convinced of a few things. Okay. <laughs> and over the last few weeks here, since the beginning of the semester, we've been talking about things that Paul is convinced by. So we started in Romans chapter 5, and I got a bit of a, a breakdown of what we've been talking about, what Paul has been saying in Romans chapter 5 to 8, that we are right in God's sight, and that he is convinced, as he shares with us, as he teaches to his audience, as we read today, that we are alive in God. He's convinced of it. He is convinced that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves of God and slaves of righteousness. Amen? He's convinced that the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. Amen? Come on, I like some verbal feedback here. He's convinced that we are children of God, no longer slaves to fear, but adopted and belong into the family of God. And he's convinced that the glory of God is both in our suffering as the Spirit helps in our weakness. As we live in obedience to him, we bring him glory. He's convinced of it. And so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up, not just our series, but we're going to wrap up Paul's, it's almost like a dissertation here. Like he's been leading to this moment. It's like he's like a lawyer and he's speaking in front of the jury and he's been building his case and his defense and here he is going to give his truth. His life transformative truth about the love of God. So tonight we're going to finish off talking about the love of God. Okay, so uh, would you stand with me? Are you ready to talk about the love of God? Okay, that was kind of convincing. I'm convinced. Great. Good. Okay, so uh, Julia, I apologize. I misprinted. Uh, I said 28 to verse 31. I don't know where you're sitting right now. Okay, great. It was, it's to verse 39. I apologize. You did fantastic in pre-service prayer, by the way. It was awesome. Y'all can join us at 6.30 on Wednesday nights for pre-service prayer. Uh, but we are going to go from verses 28 to the end of the chapter, verse 39. Okay? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Wow. It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, but more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Paul is convinced that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this section, verses 28 to verse 39, Kim and I were talking uh, last week. Kim's in Kelowna right now at at conference. But Kim and I were talking about last week uh, when she was speaking through her passage, the section about suffering and God's glory, and saying, man, there's just so much content to get through here. Like, how does Paul get through all of this in such a a short amount of time? There's, There's so many layers to all of it. And so then I was saying, yeah, too, at the end here, like, like in what we just read, you could probably get like four sermons out of each of these sections here in which that we read. So uh, we, we don't have chapel next week, so we got extra time tonight, right, to go through four sermons. I'm kidding. None of you are convinced that that's a good idea. Donald, I love you, man. All right, we could talk about that God works for the good of those who love him. That's a sermon in and of itself. Right? We could talk about that we are more than conquerors. That's a sermon in and of itself. We can talk about that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Uh, and so um, I've got some good friends at Boardwalk Cafe and Game. Everybody go, anybody go to Boardwalk Cafe and Games? So Darren and Gabby, good friends of ours who own it. Uh, they, they came up with this idea. I'd never heard it before. Maybe they came up with it. I give them credit of a, a flight of candy. So that's what this is right here. Okay? And this flight of candy is what we're going to do with this passage tonight. It's just going to be a little taste of each of these sections because we don't have time to dive into all of it. Just a little taste about who we are in God, that he works for the good of those who loves him. And then we're going to do a little bit of taste about that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We're going to do a little bit of a taste of uh, that we are more than conquerors. And if anybody would like a candy, I got to hear you tonight. Okay. Okay? Now, it's got to be at the opportune time. Okay? I don't want it to be distracting. There's got to be some fluidity to it. Okay? Some harmony to this. But uh, also, I'm convinced that sweet 16 candy is the best candy. 
If you've never had sweet 16 candy, this is the best candy. Never heard it? Sarah. Sarah, Katie. COVID's gone, right? So, like, here you go. Okay? Katie. Did you get it, Katie? Oh, that was going to go in, too. Okay. Uh, yeah, here we go. Trevor, too far. Near the wall. Okay. So, let's get into it. Okay. First part here, verses 28 to verse 30. You ever use something in your life that is like, you didn't use it properly? Like, like it was designed for something and then you just didn't actually use it for its original design? Like for example, every time I have a shower, I get out of the shower, I dry off, and then I grab my Q-tips. And what do I do with Q-tips? Dry the inside of me, it's because I hate the feeling of water inside my ear. Are Q-tips designed? To dry the inside of your ears out. No, it's not, Raiden. You're absolutely right. Absolutely not. You just want to try it again. <laughs> oh. No, they're not. They're not designed to put inside your ears, but that is the sole reason and purpose in which I purchase Q-tips. Did you know, on the bottom of an oven, the drawer that comes out, it's, it's not for storage. Exactly. It's a warming shell, uh, like drawer to keep your food warm. That's what it's for. It's not for storage of pots and pans. My oven has a one to 10 dial for the warming tray at the bottom underneath. No joke. That's what it is designed for. But we use it for storage of pots and pans. We don't use it for heating up food. Because that's weird. Like, it's weird to put food on the ground. It's like right next to the ground to keep it warm. <laughs> Do you know the difference? Do you know the difference between eisegesis and exegesis? Yeah? Okay. Where we take a passage, and rather than exegeting it properly, we eisegete it, and we make it what we desire it to be. So this passage in verse 28 and 29 often has that take place to it, right? Okay, so in verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. This passage is constantly taken out of context, constantly used for personal self-gain, personal self-word like faith, and just declaring that things are just gonna be good for the people who love God. And what Paul is saying is, yes, God works, and he works all things. We get to the next slide there. On the first point, I think I've put it, God works for those. Okay, God works all things. Like all things. God uses all things. He is in all. He is through all. He is over all. He is working all things unto himself. Scripture says that God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and earth by Christ's blood. So he's working all things. So this is correct. This is good. It says God works all things for the good. So this, this God who is all-knowing, this God who is all-powerful, this God who is all-wise, and he is sovereign over all, and his nature is goodness. He is a good God. And God's will and his purpose and his plan, it, it does and it will take place. Okay? 
He is able to work all things together for good. He is good. But he's thinking long-term of a master plan. It says, for the good of those who love him. And often what happens with this passage is we say, God is taking all things for my good. And that's not what it's saying. It's not saying that God works so that all things are good in the lives of those who love him. And that's often how it gets interpreted. And we think, oh man, shouldn't my life be good because I love him? And because I love him, this passage says that all things should be good in my life because I love him. But that's not what this passage says. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying in all things, all the things, God is using and God works and God redeems for the good of those who love him. Because not all things are good. Some of you can say, yes, I understand. Raiden, you're really encouraging me here tonight. Buddy. You're going to, that's a terrible, oh, great catch. You're going to gain some weight by the end of the night. okay (laughs) okay because there's not not everything is good there's real evil in this world and and there's real pain and there's real heartache and there's times where we can ask ourselves lord this is so bad where are you like there's there's real hurt and there's real depression and there's real anxiety. And then beyond that, there's like, there's divorce and there's miscarriages in people's lives and there's war and there's injustice and there's hurt. There's so much injustice. And, and so what this passage is saying, it's not saying that, that God works so that all things are good. He's, all things has to be in the right order. All things, the good, the pain, the hurt the joy, the sadness, all the things God redeems and reconciles and makes peace with because of the blood of Christ for the good of those who love him. Does that make sense? So suffering is a reality in our life. And oftentimes, you know, not anymore because I felt real convicted about this about three or four years ago. I used to jokingly, when something would go bad, I would say, oh, it's because God hates me. Like just as a joke. Like, I didn't actually believe it. But I would say, oh, it's because God hates me. And Rebecca, my wife, she's like, you got to stop saying that because they're going to actually believe that that's true in your life. And I'm like, I don't actually believe that it's true. And then I was like, wait a second. I actually believe that that's true. It's not true. But I, I would joke enough and say it enough that it became this underlying thing I needed to repent of and work through. Because not all things are good. But yet all those things God works for the good of those who loves him. So a good example is the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, right? It's a good story. So Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, he had a bunch of brothers. Now, he was loved by his father. Almost to the point of like being favorite, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. And because of that, his brothers just disliked him. They didn't just dislike. They disowned him. They didn't just disown him. They sold him to slavery. Isn't that awkward? Like, could you imagine? Like, I have some mean brothers. Like, I got three brothers and like, we fought. 
But never once was the consideration of like disowning them out of the family and like even not even to slavery, but just like kicking them out of the house. Like never once did that ever come up in our childhood. And yet they sold him into slavery. So Joseph, he, he was transported to Egypt. But yet while he was there, some good happened. Like he rose to prominence. He rose in authority. He rose in responsibility and respect. But then... Potiphar's wife. Hey, Potiphar's wife. Yikes. Tries to make a move. Hey, get out of there. Makes a move on Joseph and Joseph runs. He does the right thing. My boy Joseph, right? Guys, you're hilarious. Oh, dear. But he, he ran. But then what happened? unjustly imprisoned once again, in prison. Then he had some friends that he made, and his friends forgot about him. God then gave him the ability to interpret dreams. And because of this ability, he was able to get out of jail and rose again to a place of authority and prominence. And then there was famine in the land. And his family, the Israelite nation, not just his family, but the nation as a whole, needed to move and migrate to a place where they could find food and be sustained from starvation. And there's Joseph able to welcome them in. So some good came as a result of Joseph going to Egypt, but not all things were good. Am I clear? You understand? Wonderful. But through through Joseph's life, he trusted God through the kidnapping, through the slavery, through the false accusations, through the imprisonment, the rejection, and the famine. Yet, in all of that, God used these things to bring glory to himself and good to his people. Isaiah 46 says, My purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. And it sounds a bit aggressive, But there is such hope in that promise that the God who is good and loving and holy will make sure in every and any painful and hurtful circumstances, we can trust that his purpose, his good and pleasing purpose will stand. Amen? Amen. So God works. God is also for us. God is for us. Verses 31 to 35, Paul says this. What then shall we say in response to this? And he goes through a series of questions. He uses this rhetoric device. He says, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who is he that condemns? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And so Paul, he, he has these seven leading questions. 
And it's this like rhetorical device that he uses, okay? And rhetoric in the Greco-Roman world, like it was important and it was sought after that people who could communicate in a way not to just convey information, but to persuade and to convince people otherwise. So like Paul could say, like he could say no one can separate us from the love of Christ. Like he could have just wrote that. But in the, the grammatical way in which that it was written in the Greek language, these questions, these seven leading questions that aren't really looking for an answer, right? It's not looking for an answer. It's just putting out information. It causes us to pause. The question is asked and it's causing us to pause. The readers were actually, like in how it was laid out, would have paused. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Well, let me ponder that for a moment. Let me pause on that for a moment. Nothing. There's no answer to that. And he, would ask, he asked these questions in a way to bring about his truth and his promise. But I think about it, like who, who, who can distract us? There's people who can distract us from the love of God. You might have people like that in your life who distract you from the love of God. Who try to persuade you that God doesn't love you. Who try to convince you that his love is nothing but a feeling or an emotion. You may have a unsaved family that you go to and it's difficult to be at home because you don't have a support system there and you're already struggling a bit with does God really love me or does he not? And so these people distract you. I understand that. You may have a family that persecutes you. You may have people who have disowned you or dislike you or think you're crazy. He says, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Most of this hasn't applied to you, thank the Lord. (laughs) Hasn't applied to me. But these extremes in which that Paul is talking about. But what about trouble and hardship, persecution? Those, Those are very applicable in our lives. What about my sin? Is my sin enough? to separate me from the love of God. Have I sinned too much? Is there a threshold to God's grace? Does my my doubt, does my doubt of this love, will it separate me from the love of God? Who said that? Come on, buddy. I don't even know your name. Paul says, no. No, in all of these things, all of these troubles and hardships and persecution, sin, friends and family that distract and hurt and give out in our lives. He says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen. And to conquer is to be victorious, to be victorious over. And there's, there's many Old Testament examples of battle in which the Lord aided the Israelites in conquering in battle. There was tough times. They went through famine. They went through nakedness. They went through sword. And yet God cautioned the Israelites to not be afraid, cautioned them that he would fight 
their battles for them. Exodus writes, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Jeremiah, they will not overcome you for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And we too are to stand firm on the attacks that come our way, whether it be people or whether it be our minds or our emotions, whether it's spiritual, physical, these attacks that come our way, we are to stand firm. We need only be still. That he will rescue you, declares the Lord. We don't just win in the end. Guys, we win now. We win now. Yes, we win in the end. But victory is ours now. Nothing we face, none of it worries God. To the least, if we are his children, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have his covenant love to assure us in. So God is for us. What a a great truth. Who can be against us? And I want to talk about God's love. Like like I said, this this passage in chapter 8, some scholars would say it's the most important chapter in the whole New Testament. I would say outside of the Gospels, I would say, yes, they're right. But the most important chapter in the New Testament. And Paul, not just in like the chapter, but like since the beginning of his his book here, he leads up to this moment. he's, He's preparing his readers, asking the questions to this moment in which that he declares about God's love. For I am convinced, he says, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Somebody. And he uses, again, a rhetoric device, okay? He uses this thing like height and depth, right? Present and the future. And he uses these extreme ends. It's like when we were to say from the Atlantic to the Pacific, we're talking about... The nation, Canada, Atlantic to Pacific. I got it from the Hockey Night in Canada theme, right? Over your head. So what Paul is doing here is he's taking two extremes to talk about a concept. The extreme ends, death and life. He's talking about present and future. So he's talking about time in present and future. That's what he's talking about. It's in all time. Nothing today or tomorrow can separate us from the love of God. And the Greek definition of the word nothing is nothing. Like it's nothing at all. Yeah, pretty crazy, eh? My present experience, what I'm currently going through, what I will go through in the future, it is not going to separate me from the love of God. It's not strong enough to separate. Height and depth. So he's talking about location. God is omnipresent. No matter where you go, his presence is there. Nor anything else in all creation. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. So he's talking about time and he's talking about space and he's talking about matter. 
Time and space and matter. God created all of these things. God is outside the concept of time and space and matter. So all of these things in which he is created is able to separate us from the love of God. On every level, physical, spiritual, emotional. <clears throat> so the love of God is a pretty special thing. And I remember the first moments that I experienced the love of God. Like, like, I remember the moment. I remember standing in a church in Kelowna, and it was on May 12th, the year 2000. Unfortunately, many of you were not born at that time. <laughs> and I remember for the first time coming to a place, not just of realization, but of revelation of who Jesus is. I didn't have a full grasp on who God is. I didn't have a full grasp on what Christ had done for me. But it was in that moment that I had friends having their hands upon me who prayed over me and I confessed Christ as Savior for the first time in my life. And and there was a, a fresh revelation of God's love. Now God has done that multiple times throughout my life where there was moments that I realized God's love a little bit more. Uh, And Emma actually has a really cool story about a fresh revelation of God's love in her life. So Emma. She's going to share her story a bit about the summer and more so about God's love. Please. All right. Hey, guys. (laughs) So as Gavin mentioned, my name is Emma, and I'm just kind of going to share a little bit of my story from the past year and the summer and going into this year and just how it speaks about God's love in my own life. So let's start out with last year. I was fresh out of Omega, starting my second year at Summit, and I was just so excited for all that was to come. As the year started, though, I started to really miss my friends that were at home, my Omega friends that had left after that year, and just I kept having friends that continued to leave Summit. And I was just really stuck in this rut. I was extremely lonely, but I didn't tell anyone about it or do anything about it. I was feeling super insecure about myself, believing the lies that the devil fed me. You're not worthy to be loved by others. Nobody wants to be friends with you, and you will never have close relationships. (laughs) I was really letting these lies like overtake my life, but yet I did nothing about it. I was just stuck in this cycle of feeling better for a few days, being fed another lie, believing it and letting my insecurity push me away from even trying to make new relationships. I remember at one of the peaks of my breakdowns, I wrote a letter to myself, a letter telling myself why I was not worthy to be loved. This letter said a lot of things like, you are not good enough. There are a lot of reasons why people don't want to be friends with you. And when people talk to you, it's just because they pity you. I was stuck in this, and I was not paying attention to the transforming work that God was doing in my life because he loves me. Throughout the summer, I continued to struggle with loneliness. I was living alone in a city where I knew almost nobody and I was working every day alone as a house cleaner. I had one night where I was just walking around my apartment, just crying, and I just did not know what to do. I didn't know who to call or what to do, but in that moment, I just started praying. I started that pray- praying that God would just bring a friend into my life, praying that God would just reveal himself to me, and praying that I would have a breakthrough. In this moment, I was just looking through old sermon ner- notes in a journal of mine, And one of these sermons was about pruning. 
and how pruning was not always a bad thing and it brings growth in our lives. In that moment, I just really felt it lay on my heart that this was going to be a pruning season for me throughout the summer, that I was going to feel loneliness and the struggle wouldn't just be taken away from me, but that during those times, I was supposed to turn to God as my closest friend. This just truly showed me that God had not forgotten about me. He loves me fully and completely, even when I felt like I was not worthy to be loved. This summer was just such a cool pruning experience for me as I grew closer to God and began to spend time intentionally with him and experience his love for me. I would often just go to this bubble tea place and sit in the parking lot in my car. I know Gavin roasted bubble tea, but I like it. <laughs> and then <laughs> I would just sit in the parking lot. <laughs> I would just sit in the parking lot in my car with my Bible and I would just pray and spend time with God. If I had been distracted with friends and with busyness and with all those other things, I would have missed the fruit that came from this time of spending time with my loving Father. God was also showing his love to me by using people in my life to help me work on my insecurity that I constantly hid behind in so many areas of my life. When I was in high school living in Ottawa, I knew that I had a gift for worship and I did it a little bit here and there. But when I came to Summit, I didn't really tell people about that gift. I was so insecure in my abilities and I looked at all the other musicians and I said, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. There's no point in me even using this gift. God used Jalen to help, help me work on this insecurity. Jalen would often hear me sing and tell me that God had given me a gift of worship Although I would often roll my eyes at him and think he was just being nice to me because I was his girlfriend, God really, tra God really transformed me during this time and gave me more confidence in my abilities. Also, when I went to Europe with, in May with my Omega team, God again used people to help transform me. I had some members on my team who were sitting right over there that knew I could do worship, forced me into leading worship. They were like, Emma, you can sing, go up and do it. And I was like, ah. Okay, I guess, but I'm so thankful for that push that I had. And I was just so nervous. I remember in that moment, I was like, I'm not doing it, but I did it anyways. And I would not have done it without their intentional push and in getting me to do it. So thank you. <laughs> it was a first stepping stone for me in working on my insecurity. I realized that when I'm doing worship, it's not a performance, but that instead it's just worshiping God, my loving Father. And what could be better than that? My life is not perfect now. I battle loneliness and insecurity often, but I am confident, and one might even say convinced, that God loves me and has not forgotten about me. <laughs> he has made this so evident in my life through all these different situations. God loves each and every single one of you, and it's so easy for us to forget, but God uses people in our life, different experiences, and time spent with him to show us that he is an all-loving father. We, and including myself, have to accept that he loves us and continue to live in this transforming love every day. And that's my story. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Emma, I've already noticed this year a massive difference in how you hold yourself and how you carry yourself. Jalen, thank you for encouraging her. Her Omega team, thank you for pushing her. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. <clears throat> Some of you were convinced 
when you were young about the love of God. And some of you in this room, just like when we grow up and we realize, ah, you know what, Santa isn't real. We realize that gum doesn't stick in our bellies for seven years. Some of us too also have lost the convincing or the belief that God loves you. We grow and we mature and we question and we doubt and we think, does he? Can he? And insecurities can overrule our minds. And we think, I am just not good enough. We would never say that about anybody else, right? It's totally applicable to everybody else. But for me, come on, really? And there's some of you in this room that are no longer convinced that God's love is stronger than any other force ever created. But I don't feel it. My insecurities have taken over. I doubt it too much. How is it real? And I've come to this conclusion, and I was saying it to the guys in pre-service prayer tonight. Like you're here at a Bible college learning about God's love. You sit in the classroom, and you study, and you read books that, that it go in depth about this one. And I've learned that it's not just more of a realization. It's not a new realization that you need. It's a fresh revelation is what you need of God's love. That he loves you. And so often in our spiritual experiences, we want these mountaintop experiences. These, these outpouring and outbursts of like, of, of God just saying, oh my goodness, I love you. And we want to live on these high mountaintop experiences. And we want this like, this outburst of like endorphins, like spiritual endorphins that just come into our life. And we think, oh, it's in that moment that God loves me. But God's love doesn't work like that. It's not up and down. God's love is steadfast. God's love is consistent. God's love is never ending. Jeremiah 31 says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's his love. Zephaniah says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save and deliver. He will quiet you with his love and rejoice over you with singing. Paul says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, even when we were in the sickness of our sin, made us alive together with Christ. But this I call to mind, and some of you need to call to mind. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, and they are new every morning. Do I need to keep going? Yeah. <laughs> are you convinced yet? 
you know that, that picture of the guy with the mug at the table that we were talking about? That's Paul right there. Change my mind. <laughs> no, no, no. Paul is saying, change my mind. There is nothing. There's nothing that you can convince me otherwise. That anything can separate me. Let me say that again. That can separate us from the love of God. I'm going to get the, the band to come on up here. See, see, his love, his agape love, it's unconditional. It's, it's steadfast. It's consistent. Okay? <clears throat> love, love is not a constant high. It's a daily choice. And God daily loves us. In a steadfast love. It's a love that makes us. It's a love that comforts us. It's a love that saves us. It's a love that transforms us. It's a love that guides us. It's a love that empowers us. And I say us for a reason. I say us for a reason because so often when we, hear me out on this, when we find ourselves into a place of doubt or uncertainty and we think that this isn't real or it's not applicable, it's only about ourselves. We would never say it about anybody else. But we say it about ourselves, right? And so often when we take the relationship that we have with the Lord and we isolate ourselves and our insecurities and our doubts, that's when we get to our dark places. And the way that Paul wrote this passage, can we put it up again? Should be below this one with a blue font. Kirsten at the end there, there we go. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any change against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one, Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God, who is also interceding for us. Kim talked last week, the spirit intercedes for us. So does Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, no one, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Our Lord, never once does he say mine or me. The entire time he says I, just when he's convinced, other than that, it's about us. So when you're in a place where you question God's love, surround yourself with people. Surround yourself with people who've confessed. Get yourself in community. Would you stand with me?
one of the greatest ways to build our faith that God loves us is when we sing and when we pray together. I'm convinced of it. (laughs) And so we're going to sing. And if you would like some prayer, uh, can, can I get those who are student council for on prayer tonight, like off over to the corners here? Like we're we're going to kind of go old school church style where they stand up in the front and you come to them. <laughs> if nobody goes to them, they'll come to you, which is great. But some of you need prayer tonight. Some of you need not just a realization, but a fresh revelation. And people are here willing and ready to pray for you. But for us, what we're going to do is we're going to collectively, we're going to sing together. Declare God's love over our lives and revel in the truth that he works for us, that he is for us, and that he loves us. Amen? Let's sing together.